You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Kosobe here, excited to be joined by 2016 NLC Tampa Bay fellow James Chan is here, hot off his Spark Talk success at NLC convention in Houston. Excited to hear the behind the scenes on what went into his exciting speech. Let's get to it. All right, James, how long did it take you to create your Spark Talk? Uh, it took me about two months. And what was the original idea for the topic? Did you have other topics in mind? And we'll get into a little bit of what you spoke about exactly. But how did you eventually land on the topic you landed on? Well, it was funny because while I was crafting my speech, I came across this new um, documentary that was being pushed out by PBS. And the New York Times covered it. Um, And that really gave me a lot of the material that I, I worked with for the Spark Talk. And then how nervous were you beforehand? I was extremely nervous. I, I could not sleep at all before. Yeah, for folks that weren't able to make it to convention, it was it was really packed this year. Um, and close to 450, 500 people. And I think when you went, all of them were in the room at the time, it felt like, because it was around one of the keynotes folks were excited to hear. And you had a good crew from your chapter cheering you on. So definitely a lot of folks there. And then also, uh, for folks that weren't able to see it, remind us on the logistics of it, because you're trying to time your words to images. So how does that go for you? How much did you have to practice to make sure that was smooth? Yeah, I was practicing practicing for about two weeks straight before the convention. Um, you had to get, you know, each slide only has 15 seconds. So you were making sure that your words flow with the slides and all the images as well, so that it's really one cohesive story. Yeah. So give us a scoop on what the talk was about. Give us the title and, and uh, the main thrust of the talk. Yeah, so the title of the Spark Talk is, you know, The Rising Power of the Quiet Asian Americans. Um, And the reason why that title came about to be is, I think, on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, Asian Asian Americans, Pacific Pacific Islanders, oftentimes not even thought about in the political process. Um, And so that's what my talk really is about. And, you know, the Asians are the fastest growing racial group in this country and are actually the fastest growing immigrant group in this country as well. Um, And so when we talk about things like immigration, we're we're leaving out the fast growing group. Um, and this is a growing group that will have a majority um, political influence in the future. And I remember one of the slides that stood out to me was your reminder to folks that, that Asian as a title, as a category uh, is overly broad and obviously too simplistic and where people come from, from specific countries is really instrumental in, in how their experiences and coming to the States. Can you share a little bit more about why that was important for you to put into the speech? Yeah, I think there there's this thing what we call a uh, model minority myth, right? That Asians overall do well economically and and in terms of education too, but that's not necessarily the case. And we see that you know immigrants from China, India, the Philippines, um, Japan, and Korea do overwhelmingly well in terms of education and wealth. But that's not the case for immigrants from necessarily Vietnam, Laos, um, Cambodia, and so there's a big discrepancy even within the Asian community. Yeah. And then when you think about the issues that are speaking to uh, different Asian subgroups politically right now, in your experience, what do you feel like is resonating the most with folks and, and where are opportunities for progressive messages, progressive values to really hit home for folks that would motivate them to want to participate politically? So I think one of the things that, you know, will will inspire to people for especially Asian Americans to get involved is healthcare. I think even for my immigrant mother, you know, she never had healthcare before um, before what we call Obamacare passed, right? And now she has healthcare. She's able to go get her annual exam. Um, but that's the one thing that we, you know, I think we could unite Asians on uh, from a progressive standpoint. Um, and that's that's something I really hope that we can work on as progressives. 
Yeah. It's interesting to see here in Los Angeles, there's been a uh, rallying of, of Asian communities around more conservative issues lately, especially around development and the homelessness issue. Obviously, in LA, housing crisis is a big deal. Orange County, it's a big deal as well. And there's been an interesting movement for the conservatives to try to rally folks around, uh, you know, preventing uh, additional homeless housing being in certain neighborhoods or preventing extra development in certain parts of Koreatown, for example, here in Los Angeles. Do you have any sense of if that issue has potential to re- resonate on a progressive side with with uh, folks in the Asian community? What are you seeing in your part of the country? Um, I think I think it's going to be hard to get Asians on 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 that issue to be to be on the progressive side um again there's this big wealth discrepancy between um between our in our asian community right and so those who do well don't quite understand they didn't do they didn't just fall into wealth right they had all these um social policies and government policies that really helped contribute to their success um so it's it's hard for them to understand that and that's why a lot of asians who do well economically are a little more conservative yeah, makes sense. Listen, when we come back, I want to ask James a little bit more about life in Florida. Whenever we have Florida people on, we're always excited to hear what's going on over there. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. All right, James, are you from the Tampa area? How'd you end up there? Um, so I ended up here working for uh, former Florida CFO Alex Sink, who's also one of our NLC uh, board chairs or That's right. board vice chairs. And then where, where were you before that? Uh, Orlando. Okay, so what, what do people not understand about Florida? When you think about us here in LA, it's blue, it's progressive, we have water as well. But what do we not understand about life in, say, Orlando or life in Tampa? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception is like that we, well, we're just full of old people, right? Um, that's not necessarily the case. As you can see, there's, we, have, we have five chapters in Florida, um, lots of young millennial progressives. And it's actually, Florida is really three states in one. There's the North Florida, which is really conservative. There's Central Florida, which is, you know, Orlando and Tampa, where it's really, you never know who they're going to vote for in any election. And then there's South Florida, who's reliably blue. And then when you were in the Tampa Bay Fellowship class in 2016, do you remember what the main topics of conversation were for that particular group? Usually there's uh, either something going on nationally or something very uh, important locally or maybe just the way the group comes together. They want to talk about certain issues. What kind of things stood out to you when you were in your uh, 2016 class? Well, of course, being 2016, a lot of the talk was on, you know, whether whether Hillary would win the primary mm-hmm. or Bernie Sanders, and then whether we could even win the election. Nobody from our class, you know, really thought that Donald Trump would be our president today. And then once you've stayed involved with the chapter, what kind of things did you see change in the Tampa chapter for 2017, 2018? Yeah, I think, you know, in my class, a lot of a lot of our fellows were involved in politics or work in politics directly. Now, now that our chapter is growing, we're really recruiting intentionally more professionals who are not involved in politics, right? So we have people who work in education. We have people who work, for example, who work for Walgreens, um, who work as lawyers, and of course, you know, in the nonprofit field. So we're really trying to diversify who we're recruiting and who we're putting through the class. And then how much does your chapter feel something like the momentum that came out of Parkland and the move for uh, banning certain guns, gun control in general, does that make it to to where you are? Do you feel that in the state? Oh yeah, we we see that in our work, our day to day work. We see that going up in voter registrations, and you just see energy and excitement about young candidates, um, about young people getting involved. And as someone who follows politics and follows people 
becoming engaged with any particular issue. Why do you feel like the Parkland kids were able to really stick in media cycles, really persuade and influence people to change their behaviors? Yeah, I think when when there's just so many students experiencing Parkland down there and it's just so close to home, it makes it more real for not only these students, but their families as well. And that these these policies, right, should be changing, can be changed if we all if we all come together. Yeah. Hey, going back to convention, what was your favorite part of the couple of days there in hot, humid Houston, Texas? Oh, oh man. Um, I think my favorite part was, of course, the Saturday dinner. Um, mm. It's just great to see all the chapters in one room, really celebrating all of our successes. And then you got some good news that night as well. Tell folks the um, award that you won and what that award signifies. Yeah, so I won the uh, Mitch Drazer Advocate Award, and it recognizes a... Uh, NLC community member who's really advocated for NLC community members across the country. And and so I'm really proud of that award. And I just want to thank everyone who I've encountered through my, throughout my NLC journey too. You know, one of the questions I was talking to some folks who were back here in LA, didn't get a chance to go to convention this year. And I think as a board in general, we're trying to figure out how to have folks be a little bit more plugged into the national network and engage with alums in different ways. It's kind of the way it's shaken out is we're off down here in Southern California, by ourselves. The group in the Bay is great. And they have Sacramento up there too. So they get to see each other a little bit more, but we're kind of off on our own, at least for the time being, you know, what kind of ways would you suggest folks to try to plug into the NLC network so they can feel that, Hey, there's actually 50 plus chapters. Now there's tons of alums running around the country doing awesome things. How do you want them to connect into that? Yeah. I mean, number one, of course, is following our national Facebook group, right? The NLC community group, but also, you know, something that we as Florida chapters are working on is putting on a Florida convention or some sort of conference, like a, on a smaller scale than a national conference. Right. But I think something that, something that Californians can do is how do we unite all these Californians and really put on a, um, an event where all Californian chapters can come together and really share some ideas and, and, and have some great conversations. Nice. Last thing, one of the reasons we started this podcast was to give us some ability to recruit better because uh, we have this great content of all our alums doing awesome things. So as we recruit new fellows for 2019 and beyond, we're able to show them when they ask us, hey, what do your alums do or what have they done? We can we can do that. Uh, you know, what kind of message would you have for anyone who's considering uh, applying to the fellowship and would be then considering taking an offer if it was made to them uh, a little bit later this fall? Yeah, I would say really talk to the alum in your in your community and see how that's impacted them. Because I think NLC is very chapter based. Every, every NLC chapter is very different based on what community they are in. Um, and I think the NLC experience is so unique to, to people in very different ways. Um, and that's why so many of our volunteer, our super volunteers have just dedicated so much time and financial resources to this organization because they, they really feel they got something out of NLC um, and it's changed their life, whether it's in a personal way or a professional way, they really got gotten things out of it. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, thanks for, for hopping on the SAG and thanks for uh, wrapping up a uh, really great convention. It was great to hear your spark talk. Great to see the award get to, a very deserving person. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. You can catch all past episodes, and we got a lot, about 86 of them, in the iTunes podcast app, in Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can find them all there. More episodes coming next week, so stay tuned. Until then, we'll catch you soon. <laughs>